Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up-and-coming brands. Anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. In today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Mountain Flow EcoWax, Peter Arlene. Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Josh, thanks. This is great. Okay, so for the listener that may not be familiar with Mountain Flow EcoWax, how would you best describe your, your brand to them? Mountain Flow is an eco friendly ski wax company. We're based in Colorado. And we just launched North America's only line of plant-based ski wax. Okay, so what made you decide to start a ski wax company? Yeah, we actually started about three years ago um, with a really niche backcountry product. It was an anti-stick spray that goes on top of your skis to keep snow from building up. Uh, Backcountry skiers know that weight uh, or the elimination of weight is the name of the game, right? You want to be as light as you can. And the problem was that people were having these light setups, but then they were carrying a couple pounds of snow on top of their ski. So we came out with this spray three years ago, and that kind of got this whole thing started. That's really interesting. And then that led to you sort of thinking about the idea of the fact that skiers, snowboarders are very eco-friendly, eco-focused, because obviously the things that they love to do are out in nature and are directly correlated to the way in which we treat nature. And I think a lot of our listeners may not realize this and that you, Peter, kind of pointed out to me is the fact that most ski and snowboard wax is made with petroleum. And you've kind of sort of made a point to uh, bring this into the spotlight and create a a plant-based version of ski wax so that we're not contaminating our snowpack when we're going out on the hill every day. Exactly. Just about all of the ski wax in the world is made from petroleum. And the reason you have to wax your ski so often is that the wax comes off of your ski and goes directly into the snowpack. And then from there in the spring ends up in local rivers and lakes. And so our aim is instead of introducing petroleum products into our local environments, let's use a biodegradable plant-based wax that works just as well as a conventional ski wax. I mean, I think that's a brilliant idea. And I think any skier or snowboarder hears that few sentences and they're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, sure. It works just as well. Why would I buy the petroleum-based product? How, I want to ask, I guess, a little bit about your background. Do you, how did you get into this? Did you um, have experience sort of making and engineering products like this? Yeah, a lot of people ask whether I'm a chemist, um, and I'm definitely not. Uh, you know, I'm just a skier, and 
more than anything, this product was developed through trial and error. You know, it took us about two years and 200 plus formulations to get the formula dialed. And so that just meant, you know, making a lot of wax, going to this, going to the hill, testing it all out, and then figuring out which iteration worked best, going home, making some new formulas, and kind of doing that process for two years. So I, I guess my, my initial question here is, why is um, most ski wax made, uh, why is it petroleum-based, and why has no one else really done the plant-based um, product before? So most wax in general is, is made from petroleum, which people may or may not realize. So chances are the candles in your house are made from petroleum. Um, you can also get a soy-based candle. Right? You can extract a wax from a bunch of different plants. Soy is probably the most popular. Um, but petroleum-based wax is relatively inexpensive. Uh, it's easy to get a hold of. And it, you know, it works pretty well as a ski wax. It works pretty well with candles. Working with plant-based wax is much more difficult. And I, that's part of the reason why I think no one else has done this. And also the consumer wasn't really asking for it, or they just didn't know that there was another option out there. So ski wax companies, they were making a wax that worked really well. The customers were happy. There wasn't an incentive for them to you know, take a couple of years to develop a whole different product. So what were the, the challenges, I guess, with using... Uh, plant-based uh, product to make the wax? So a lot of it was, was trying to find the right plant-based waxes that we want to use. So our wax uses five or six different plant-based waxes, depending on the temperature range for the wax. And so figuring out which waxes we wanted to use and then you know exactly which combination was going to give us, you know A, the best performance, but B, it also had to be fun to put on the ski. Like if it's a pain in the ass to put on your skis, no one's going to want to use it. So it's balancing all of those factors. Interesting. So I guess if you were to, like in the first, you said you, you went through sort of 200 different iterations. So I assume in the early process of that, it was A, difficult to put on your skis and B, didn't work as anywhere near as well as the petroleum-based versions, correct? Yeah, some of the formulas that we came up with were awful, and I would get off the chairlift and like barely make it down the ramp, which is really embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> when you're supposed to be the wax guy, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're the slowest guy in the group. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely embarrassing, and also exhausting when you're trying to get down the mountain and you just feel like you've got super glue on the butt on your bases. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So I guess, what did you learn like, um, in through the process and you were, you were trying different things. Was it really like just research and be like, okay, so this component is what's making it stick more. I need to remove this and maybe add a few of these things or like, I, I guess I, 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 it's hard for me to wrap my head around the trial and error process of figuring this out. Yeah, I did my best to be scientific just in the sake of efficiency and so I did a bunch of research into what is it, the actual objective of ski wax? What are the frictional forces that it's trying to overcome? And there's a handful of different frictional forces. And then how do we best do that? And which wax is best at tackling which part of the friction? And how do we balance that out? So 
you know, there's a little bit of science and then a lot of trial and error. Interesting. And so I, I assume it took you a pretty, like that first time you got that first batch of wax to work, I'm sure you were pretty stoked <laughs> to say the least. Oh yeah. It was amazing. Uh, it becomes an obsession, right? You get it to work pretty good and you're stoked that you're at least sliding down the hill. And then you kind of go home and you're like, well, I, I wonder if I could make it even better. You know, how can we get this part to be a little bit faster? And then you're right back into it again. Interesting. Now, are there any drawbacks uh, to the current version of the plant-based wax to the petroleum? Like, does it last as long? Um, are there any sort of still things that you're trying to work out? Yeah, it's just as fast. Uh, it lasts just as long. The product that we have now is targeted towards 95% of the skiing population, your everyday skier. Um, you know, backcountry, free ride. Uh, what we don't have is a high-end race product. And that's something that we're working on this year. Yeah, I was going to ask. I assume when, you know, one-tenth of a second matters, um, you know, that, that part component of the product is probably still in the works, like you said. Um, because in, in the race community, that obviously matters. Um, okay, so you, you developed this over some time. Um, you launched your Kickstarter campaign earlier this year, and you, you raised a little over um, $20,000. So a pretty successful campaign. You have over 300 backers. What, how did you get the word out there? What, what did you do to, I guess, get the exposure to really start selling um, the wax? So we did a couple different things, um, you know, starting about a month before the Kickstarter campaign. And if listeners are thinking about doing a campaign, I would definitely recommend this. Uh, we did a giveaway. We got some some brands on board to help us out. Uh, Rocky Mountain Underground, DinaFit, uh, and Strafe Outerwear, which is based right here in Colorado. And they all donated a little bit of product. We put, away the, put together a giveaway package and got a bunch of email addresses of people who are interested in those type of products. And that was like, you know, our launching off point. We had a couple thousand email addresses and those were the people who we kind of first let know that the Kickstarter is happening. Smart. So that was, yeah, a really good way to get started. You know, with Kickstarter campaigns, it's all about momentum and starting big is crucial. And then the second component, which really helped us out was you know, we brought on a PR agency you know, up until then, I've been doing everything in-house, and this was kind of the first group that I hired to, to work with Mountain Flow, and it was the best decision we ever made. I mean, they had so many articles lined up on the day that the Kickstarter campaign launched that we were, you know, 20% to our goal within the first two days. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, is it expensive to work with a company like that to get things off the ground? Like, is there a lot of risk for you, or is it more of a if you're successful, they get paid kind of campaign? So with the PR agency, they were paid a, a monthly retainer and we were able to work out a deal that worked for both of us. And we're still a small startup company and so our budget was somewhat limited, but they were able to work with us and it was great. That's awesome. Now, uh, talking about the actual, I guess, product and business side of it, right? Because there's really two components here. One is 
the developing of the wax and like really fine tuning it and making it a great product. And the second piece is just the business side, right? Where it's like marketing and sales and all of that. And they kind of require like very different skills. And I know, you know, this is, this is your baby. You kind of run the show. You have some contract workers kind of helping you, but how did you ever have any mentors that really kind of helped you through either side of of the business? Yeah, there's been a, a bunch of people who have helped out you know, living in Carbondale, right in the heart of the Rockies. There's a, a bunch of outdoor businesses around here. And so people who are familiar with the game and they certainly helped out. Um, and, you know, I had a, my background, I guess, is in skiing and business. And so it, it happened to work out well that, you know, this company required skills from both of those sets. So let's talk a little bit about your background. What What is your background? So before starting Mountain Flow, and actually while Mountain Flow was getting off the ground, I was working in digital advertising for outdoor companies. Um, so helping them sell products online, build their brand. Um, and so I was kind of well-versed in that whole side of the business. Oh, that's really awesome. So it kind of helped a lot. And then in the early stages, you don't have to focus on anything but the product. So I guess that gave you some time to like really figure things out on that side and then really apply your expertise on the other side of the business once you launched it. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, okay, so let's talk about the, the actual manufacturing process. You make everything in Colorado. Um, what's that like? How do you keep like obviously sustainability is front and center and sort of the ethos of, of the brand. Um, but how do you go a step further outside of, you know, not using petroleum based wax? How do you make sure that the rest of your, your whole manufacturing process keeps sustainability sort of front and center? So we actually, we make everything in the U S and we make some of our products here in Colorado. Um, but we actually have three different wax manufacturers that we work with. Whether it depending on you know whether it's a liquid product, a rub-on, or our hard wax, and yeah, that's a great point because just saying that it's plant-based doesn't necessarily mean that it's sustainable or responsibly sourced. Um, the majority of plant-based wax is used in natural cosmetics, and for those products to really take hold, you know, all of the sourcing. Uh, and sustainability guidelines have to be in place. Right? That, that kind of stuff is right on the label for all of those natural healthcare products. And so we work with companies that have all of their sustainable sourcing guidelines in place, which was really important to us. That's awesome. Now, I assume how long did it take you to sort of line up these partners to make sure that they could produce the the quality product that you were looking for? And then also, like you said, keep the sustainability aspect of it pretty front and center. Yeah, it's tricky, you know, especially being a small company to make sure that you're going to be able to find time in their schedule and you're not just going to get bumped around and that the quality is there. So we definitely did some trial and error with a few different manufacturers. Uh, they were able to send us samples, and we were kind of able to pick one that, you know, A, we worked with really well together, and B, they were able to produce a product that was exactly what we needed. For sure. Now, now over the years, what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about starting and building Mountain Flow? <laughs> How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> you know, 
every day there's a new challenge and we've had some big hurdles come our way uh, throughout this process. And at first, you know, it's like, oh man, like this might be the one that sinks the ship. And then once you get through enough of those, you can kind of see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it turns out that what I initially thought were our biggest obstacles ended up being our greatest turning points, right? Something stopped us from going on the path that we were doing. We pivoted slightly and we're able to, you know, either find a better manufacturer, come up with better product ideas, you just move the company in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any specific examples that kind of come to mind? Yeah, so uh, we were working with this one manufacturer and we were ready to um, put the first production run, uh, get it started. And we were just kind of finalizing the contract and they had initially quoted us um, per pound for the wax. And they actually meant to quote us per unit. And so that tripled our cost. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> on the phone call. Um, this was, you know, right before the ski season. And so I kind of thought, well, there's no way we can pay three times as much. And there's no way we can charge a customer three times as much as we had been planning. But we kind of went back to the drawing board. We circled back with some other manufacturers and were able to get the price down and kind of streamline some of our processes to, to cut costs. And we didn't have to raise prices to the consumer and we were able to keep a comfortable margin for ourselves. How long did that whole process take? Uh, it took maybe two weeks because that's all we had to figure something out. <laughs> right, back out. up against the wall. So you're just like, all right, we have to figure this out. So uh, it's going to happen. <laughs> That, that's the mentality, really. Yeah, it's stressful, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made up to this point with Mountain Flow? Yeah, it's definitely been a learning process. Um, you know, this this fall, I guess, we were planning on success and we're, we're hoping that this was going to take off, but didn't necessarily think through all the ramifications, you know, if, if we start selling a hundred units of wax a week, what does that look like all the way down the line to like, Oh, we're going to need at least a hundred boxes and we're going to need five rolls of tape and we're going to need somebody to package all of this up. And that takes a lot of time. Um, and so while we were planning for success, we didn't necessarily think of all of the steps and been able to bring on some, some people to help part time, which has been amazing. Uh, but doing all of this in house is turns out probably not the most efficient way. Right. It's kind of like building the car as you're driving it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you're, you're like, Oh, right. We need a wheel. We need a, we need a wheel on the right side. <laughs> you know, we need this. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Just kind of figuring it out as you go, which is like a lot of things with entrepreneurship. Like you, it's a weird, um, for us, like when we started our business, it's this weird um, kind of conundrum where you you don't want to like mislead or lie or be deceitful to anyone when you're promising something, especially when you get started, because uh, you know you can do it, but you're just not 100% sure of how you're going to do it. So it's like this weird balance of making sure that you don't overpromise or overextend yourself so that you can like have that time to sort of figure it out, right? 
because it, it's like kind of that balancing act and uh, it's definitely stressful <laughs> to say the least. It's a total balancing act. And at some point, I mean, you got to really get out over your skis and maybe put yourself out there and just know that by the time that order's due, you'll have figured it out. Because if you just tell everybody, maybe nothing's ever going to happen. You know, you just kind of have to have True. that confidence. And, you know, we've done that more and more and people have just come in to help us or somehow it always comes together, which has been an amazing part of the process. And I'm sure you've had that happen too. The oh, last, yeah. So many something. times where I'm like, all right, I think this is it. And then somehow it comes together and you look back at it and you're like, wow, <laughs> we got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, that's, that's the roller coaster of it. It's, um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And even when it doesn't, it still somehow does, <laughs> you know, because you learn from it and you figure it out in some other capacity. It may be not how you initially saw it, but some version of it goes. <laughs> um, okay, so what would you say have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made up to this point with Mountain Flow? Um, you know, I think, like, like I was saying, not hiring ahead of this season was probably a mistake. Um, I don't know. I I don't have time to think about the mistakes. There's too much, too much, you know, going on in in the here and now. Yeah, I totally understand that. Now, what what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor space or just really a business in general? I would say just do it. You know, it's it's really easy to get intimidated by all the things that need to happen to get something off the ground. Um, or maybe people are feeling like if I don't understand each piece of this, I don't feel comfortable getting started. And you know, I'm kind of an analytical person and that was my initial mindset, but eventually I just went for it and you learn so much along the way. As long as you've got some of the basics in place, I think getting started is the best advice. And you'll learn along the way and you'll make mistakes, but you'll end up figuring it out. And you'll learn faster. Oh, yeah. There's no better teacher than just trying <laughs> and learning by doing. Um, it's uh, definitely an experience for sure. Where do you see Mountain Flow in the next year, five years, ten years down the road? Yeah, I mean, based upon the growth we've seen just in the last few months, you know, I'm really optimistic at where mountain flow is going to be in a couple of years. I think in general, the ski industry and certainly the ski wax industry is moving to be greener and more sustainable. And I think, you know, in three to five years, plant-based ski wax, we're no longer going to be the, the only folks offering it in North America. It's going to be on every shelf and every ski shop throughout the world, uh, which is great. You know, if we do nothing else besides encourage that to happen faster, then this whole thing would be a success. Also, you know, going into ski shops and bike shops around the country, you learn what's not in the market and what people are looking for. And I think there's opportunities in bike products, for example, which there's some eco-friendly options on the market now, but not a ton. So possibly expanding in that direction. Uh, we'll see. 
What's the best part about running Mountain Flow? You know, having the freedom to ski or travel is amazing. Um, you know, yesterday we got five or six inches and I drove up to Steamboat Springs to meet with some potential customers and all we did was go skiing all day. <laughs> uh, Not a bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the dream. Um, and don't get me wrong. I spend way too much time at my desk, but knowing that I have the freedom to take off and ski whenever I want is great. Ultimately, that's the goal, right? It's just to be able to ski more. And right now it's a lot of work, but hopefully down the line, it'll be a lot of skiing. I couldn't agree with you more. It's exactly why we started Ready Yeti. But like you said, the first couple of years, you, you tend to ski less. Or right. what I've found with us, since we do a lot of um, video production and photography in the ski and snowboard, or really just the outdoor realm, a lot of the days on the snow that we spend are like technically days, right? But it's a lot of standing around, a lot of skiing the same 100 feet 30 times to get that perfect shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? So while it's yes, I'm working and I'm outside, it's just it's different than I expected, which is fine. And I would much rather do that than sit in front of a computer for 12 hours a day, even though I also do still do that. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's a balancing act. And I wouldn't I'd rather it this way than just all day, every day in an office in front of a computer because you know, life's too short to spend spend that much time in an office, at least I think. <laughs> Yeah, I agreed. You know, when when I was starting Mountain Flow a few years ago and I kind of expressed that sentiment like, yeah, I just want to ski more. And somebody who'd been in the industry for a while said, if you want to ski more, you should start a golf company. And uh, <laughs> I think it was probably pretty good advice, right? Because then you're working in the summer and you can ski in the winter. True, true. Unless you're you're one of the lucky ones and you figure it out and you make it successful enough and impactful enough where you can sort of dictate when you work, which I guess is kind of the dream that we're all chasing. <laughs> we'll get there. We will. That's for sure. And, um, you know, I want to take a second to, um, point out that anyone who's listening before December 24th, you can actually enter to win a bunch of product from mountain flow, including the eco wax, um, along with uh, a full ski and snowboard uh, setup. So just head over to RedYeti.com for your chance to win. And Peter, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story and the story of Mountain Flow. And I really think that um, the products you're making are really important for um, just obviously environmental reasons and just the um, exposure because I have so many friends who are skiers and riders who are very environmentally conscious, but I don't think I've ever had a conversation about the wax we put on our skis or boards. And I think that this is a very important thing uh, to get out there. And I hope a lot of the listeners really start to think about that going forward and um, really make a point to not use petroleum-based wax on their skis. And yeah, Peter, I hope, uh, hope you enjoyed the, the interview as well. And I'm looking forward to uh, getting this out there. Well, Josh, thanks so much uh, for taking the time and the interview and love what you guys are doing over at Ready Yeti. So keep up the good work. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. 
This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week. 